Good morning, ABC. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're glad you guys are here. Before we jump into today's message, I wanted to just share a few announcements of things that are coming up here at the church to get you guys plugged in and connected. The first is we're hosting a blood drive right here on Wednesday, February 23rd at the church. Uh, there are appointments still available, uh, so if you'd like to sign up and give blood and help save a life, uh, you can sign up online at abcchurch.org. Again, that's Wednesday, February 23rd right here at ABC Church. Next up is Camp Good News. ABC is happy to once again be partnering with Camp Good News, which is an elementary-aged, basically Hume Lake Light. Uh, it's an opportunity to send your elementary-aged kids to Arroyo Grande for an overnight camp, and ABC is signed up to go on June 20th through 24th. Um, Sign-ups will actually be taken on March 1st, but what we're looking for now is for individuals that are interested in volunteering to be a part of Camp Good News, whether that's uh, being a counselor in one of the cabins, helping out in the kitchen, or just helping out in the camp in general. So if you're interested in that, uh, please see Sandy Hesh and uh, she can let you know how to get connected. Uh, you can drop her an email at sandy at abcchurch.org or just stop by the office and let us know you're interested. Um, the next two announcements are for the men of the church. Uh, guys, there's two big events I want you to mark your calendar for that are coming up for the men. The first is we're hosting a men's breakfast on Saturday, March 12th, right here at the church. It's going to feature Jeremy Stallnecker from Mighty Oaks. Mighty Oaks is an amazing partner of the church, and uh, Jeremy is a dynamic speaker, and he's going to be talking about living a life of purpose. Uh, so I encourage you to mark your calendar. It's Saturday, March 12th at 7 a.m. right here at ABC. It's $5 at the door for breakfast. You'll have a great time being uh, challenged by a message from Jeremy, and uh, we hope to see you, uh, to see you guys there. The next uh, announcement is we're going to be hosting um, a fisherman's conference up at Hume Lake. So ABC put a group together a couple years ago, had about 50 guys go up. Amazing experience in the wilderness at Hume Lake, and we're going to be sending another group on May 13th, 14th, and 15th. Um, the featured speaker for this given week is Adam Weatherby of Weatherby Guns and former pastor here at ABC Church. Uh, so we're excited to, to announce that we're going to be taking a group up for that. So if you're interested in joining um, uh, us for that trip, please see me uh, or just drop me an email at sean at abcchurch.org or stop by the office. Hope you guys have a great Sunday. Thanks. Well, good morning. Welcome to ABC. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we are thrilled to continue going through Matthew. And I mean that. I know we say that often, but um, man, it's, I've just been studying and reading through this gospel. We've, you know, read it you know, what, dozens of times or something, maybe you have too, and, uh, but I just keep finding some of these um, really uh, kind of gold nuggets as we dig and uh, discovering more about God's plan for his people. And anyway, I digress. But uh, we're gonna jump in this morning into Matthew chapter three. I wanted to remind you of the story of Israel coming up to the River Jordan in the book of Joshua. There are literally two and a half million people backed up against the east bank of the Jordan River, and they're planning to take the land, the promised inheritance. And Joshua's getting a game plan together. They've got to take and inhabit the town of Jericho in order to do that. And so they're making a plan, and God speaks directly to Joshua and gives him instructions. And he says, uh, I want you to take my ark, the, the ark of the covenant, on the poles that go through the rings in the side of this box, and have the priests that are supposed to carry the ark step down into the Jordan River, this barrier, a geographical line of delineation between the wilderness in which they were wandering and the promised land. And as those priests step foot and put the heels of their feet into the banks of the Jordan River, God says, I will stop the water. 
And listen to what this line is. He says, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. I'll be present in the midst of that obstacle. What looks like a barrier between the wilderness and the promised land, I'm going to turn into a highway. And I'll be present in that barrier. In fact, that, that barrier, that obstacle, is going to become a conduit of a path forward for the people of Israel to move into the inherited promised land. And I'm curious, as I think about this obstacle, this geographical kind of line between the old and the new, between the wilderness and the promised land, if you've got any river Jordans in your life, if there are obstacles for you that stand in between what you feel God has led you to or what God is doing in you and where you stand today, what are the river Jordans? What are the obstacles? And is it possible that as God says in Joshua chapter 3, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan that God may himself make a way for you. That on the banks of the Jordan, God will make a way. This is a special place, a special location in history that we're going to walk through together this morning. Fast forward 1400 years and John the Baptist comes on scene in Matthew chapter 3. Follow along as I read. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. It just so happens that as John the Baptist comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 3, he appears in the wilderness. The wilderness just north of the Dead Sea. The wilderness in which Israel was wandering, in which Israel was on the move toward the promised land. About seven miles north of the Dead Sea, Israel camps on the side of the Jordan. And there John the Baptist, 1400 years later, appears preaching this message saying, I'm going to make the path of the Lord straight. I'm going to make a way for God's people. I'm going to pave the way. Look at this map real quick. Just really interesting to see how... God continues to use a geographical location to reinforce the truth of what he'll do, the faithfulness of what he plans to do and accomplish. If you look at this map, um, you can kind of see uh, where the Dead Sea is. And then if you were to travel up that map and see where I've got that red dot, that's about seven miles up the river from the Dead Sea. And on that dot, if you were to go to this location today, it's a location called Bethany Beyond the Jordan. This is the believed uh, baptism site of Christ, which is also, the, in, for all intents and purposes, the baptism site of John the Baptist, where he was baptizing. He's preaching in the wilderness and baptizing. And so ironic that you would have a river stretching north from the Dead Sea where two and a half million people would need to cross. And if you look again there to the left of the map, you see the town of Jericho, the, the place where they were supposed to inhabit the promised land. 
And so they crossed the river. And if you were to look at where they would have crossed the river in order to get to Jericho, it seems to line up pretty close to the place where John was preaching and baptizing near the river Jordan. And then you go just beyond the river. And I don't have this marked on the map, but Joshua took the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel and they pulled a stone out of the river as they crossed it. And with that stone, they built an altar and the altar stood at a place called Gilgal, which was just beyond the banks of the west bank of the river. And Gilgal was a location that was known as a faithful place, a remembrance of the faithfulness of God um, for all of Israel so they could come back and look and remember the day that God took them across the Jordan River, proving his faithfulness holding back the waters of the Jordan, showing that he would make a way for his people. And so it became this historic location. If you fast forward into the book of 2 Kings, you remember the prophet that spoke to the people. His name was Elijah. And Elijah uh, did this powerful ministry amongst the kind of particularly the Philistine communities in the time. And uh, as Elijah was to hand off the reins or to empower the next Uh, prophet Elisha, he takes Elisha from Gilgal, where this stone tower is erected, and he moves toward the bank of the Jordan. And Elijah takes his his coat, and he, he strikes the water at the Jordan River, and the water parts, and Elijah walks across the river, and then he's taken up to heaven in a chariot. It's just this amazing picture of of God just wrapping his arms around his prophet Elijah, saying, you're coming home, it's time to come home. In fact, he never had to die, he went straight into heaven. Elisha's witnessing this, and the cloak falls down from the chariot, and he grabs that cloak on the other side now of the river, and to get back, oh, as he kind of progresses back towards Gilgal, he strikes the water again, the waters part. Three times the river Jordan parted in a place where God had continued to prove his faithfulness to his people in the very place that God said, the creator of heaven, the Lord of all the earth will be in the water, will make a way, will part the river to show and prove his faithfulness in getting his people where he intended for them to go. Interesting, isn't it? That that likely location of John's preaching, the likely location of the baptisms was in the very water. God said, I'm in this water. This water is proving my faithfulness. This water is paving a way. This water is going to open up the path that I've intended for all of my people. And then we hear of this prophet Elijah, the second prophet Elijah in Malachi chapter four. It says, God says, I will send my prophet Elijah. And it talks about how he's going to preach and what he's going to do. And so then we see in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist come on scene. Just so happens that he's wearing camel's hair and a leather belt, just like the original prophet Elijah was wearing. Just so happens that he's preaching a message of repentance in the very region, the very wilderness region, on the very banks of the very Jordan River where Elijah and Elisha and Joshua all experienced the faithfulness of God, all followed God, all obeyed. God and God made a way for them to do exactly what he had intended to accomplish through them. And so as we 
we arrive here at Matthew chapter 3, we see John the Baptist and all of that Israeli history is coming to mind for these Jewish readers as they hear Matthew write of this and they hear the story, they put all of these things together and go, man, the Jordan River, that's right. The Israelites crossing the Jordan, their forefathers, their ancestors, they remember Elijah and Elisha and God parting the river two or not three times and they think, the path has been paved for the Messiah to come. And John the Baptist, the second Elijah now, preaches this message of repentance. Did you get all that? I know that's a lot, but man, I want to connect these dots for you. I want you to see the significance of these moments. When we come up to a passage of scripture like that, and Matthew simply says, in those days, John the Baptist. Did you catch where that came from? Uh, he was reading through, or he was writing into chapter two, uh, the story of Jesus, the infant Jesus being taken to Egypt, and then Jesus was taken from Egypt back up to Nazareth, and then boom, all of a sudden, Matthew fast forwards 30 years, we come up to chapter one, and he says, in those days, John the Baptist. And we go, wait, what? In what days? How did we get to John the Baptist? And yet he's writing to a Jewish audience who knew full well that there was a coming Messiah and there was one who would come, Elijah, before him to pave the way for Jesus, to pave the way for the Messiah. And so for Matthew, it's, it's not by mistake. In fact, he was less concerned with where John the Baptist came from and far more concerned with the message. He didn't care so much about the messenger and that's why he overlooks this whole history of John the Baptist and just gets right down to the point because he's writing to these Jews and says, look, this guy's out in the wilderness. You know the wilderness. Remember that? He's out by the River Jordan. You know the River Jordan. Remember that? He's going to see God pave a way. You know the way that was paved. Remember that? And so he's connecting all of this history, thousands of years, if not you know, just generations and generations of history that he's bringing to the forefront for the Jewish reader and going, yes, this is in fact the Elijah, the prophet who will pave the way for the Messiah. And he's going to ultimately point everyone to Jesus because it never was about John the Baptist. But for you and me, as we uh, read through this this morning, we go, but I'd sort of like to know a bit about this guy, John the Baptist. Well, luckily, Luke fills in some gaps for us. Um, he's a bit more methodical and uh, intentional with dates and details. And so we get a little bit more insight. And I think it's worth processing through that for a minute this morning. Um, that as we see Luke tell the story of John the Baptist, the significance of this moment becomes all the more in the forefront. And so in Luke chapter 1, uh, we are introduced to a man named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth the parents of John the Baptist. Zechariah being a descendant of Aaron, of priestly line. Elizabeth being the cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus being of uh, royal line, as we know, and we've talked about in the past weeks. Now John the Baptist, through his father Zechariah, being of a priestly line. So one a king, one a prophet. And so we see this story play out between Zechariah and Elizabeth. Turns out they're old, they're well along in their years. Uh, Elizabeth has been barren. She's never been given a child, uh, but yet they're upright and they're godly and they pray and they beg God, give us a child. And they've hoped for and longed for uh, someone who would carry on their family name. And they get, uh, in fact, Zechariah gets this word from the Lord, an angel speaks to him as he's doing his priestly duties. And I won't get into all that, but in Luke chapter one, verse 15, here's what the angel says to Zechariah. Listen closely. 
For he will be great before the Lord. Speaking of his son, Zechariah's son that's going to come. He will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, connecting it back to the prophet Elijah and to Malachi's prophecy of the coming Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He's gonna pave the way. He's gonna take obstacles and make them flat. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord on the river banks of the Jordan. And then Zechariah, at the birth of his son, John the Baptist, is given this prophetic word. Likely the first prophecy spoken to Israel in 400 years. God hadn't spoken since Malachi. 400 years of silence. And now Zechariah says his word. Luke chapter 1 verse 76. And you, child... He says of John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. And he says exactly what Malachi said, and that you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will make the way for the Messiah. God will make a way on the banks of the Jordan through John the Baptist. Jump back into the text in Matthew uh, with me for a minute as we process through what he's saying specifically about John the Baptist and how that kind of ties into the message we're going to hear um, from him in just a minute. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2 says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is John preaching in the wilderness. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he who has spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Again, connecting it back to a prophecy from Isaiah. It's in Isaiah chapter 40, speaking of the prophet Elijah, who's going to come prepare the way of the Lord, that he's going to make their path straight. And so John arrives on scene in wilderness, just as it was told, just as it was to be, begins preaching this message of repentance. And it's the first point there that I have on your outline that God will make a way and he'll do it through repentance. Just as he says in verse two, that John the Baptist will make the path straight for the Lord. He's going to prepare the heart of the people for what the coming Savior will teach for what the coming Savior will do, for what he'll offer, that hearts will be ripe and ready through repentance. His own words in John chapter 1, John the Baptist paraphrases this by saying, I'm here to make straight the way of the Lord, to straighten the path so that the coming Messiah has a clear paved Road. I imagine John in these moments looking south from where he is in the wilderness towards Jerusalem at these craggy rocks and steep cliffs and hillsides where there wasn't a clear flat plain and him looking to those hills and saying, I'm here to make those hills flat. I'm here to prepare the way so that when the Messiah comes, it's a clear path forward that people understand what he's here to do and understand his message that he's brought to preach. 
And in fact, in Isaiah, if you keep reading that very prophecy that Matthew's alluding to, chapter 40, if you go on, it says, Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and then the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And so as John looks to those craggy rocks and hillsides and cliffs and all of the windy roads, he's saying, we're going to make those paths straight because there is a Savior, a Messiah coming, and we want to prepare our hearts and be ready for the message, to be ready for what he's going to say and to ready to receive. Make the way clear, the road straight, the terrain level through repentance. Remember John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah's prophecy in Luke chapter 1. He says, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way. Repent, John says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you start to get a sense of urgency as he preaches. The, the, the repentance isn't a far off kind of um, lofty idea that maybe someday we should be cognizant of the condition of our heart. No, it's a right now. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The coming king, the coming Messiah, he's here. And we got to prepare ourselves. We got to repent. We got to come clean. We got to get ready to receive the, the coming Messiah. And with this urgency, you kind of hear this message, this undertone that the coming of God's eternal kingdom either demands repentance or it brings judgment. And so there's, there's urgency in his voice. Look at verse 6. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. You see this people of God respond. In baptism, we're introduced now to this concept that's foreign to us at this point in the Bible and likely foreign to many of those who were there listening to his preaching that God would make a way through baptism and we're not exactly sure how to make sense of that um, if you haven't experienced you know the a whole kind of theology of baptism or if you're just reading the Bible through for the first time you go what in the world is baptism and why is John baptizing people in the river he's dunking them under the water what does that mean and where did that come from well to the Jewish audience it wasn't altogether foreign there was a ritualistic cleansing process. If you go all the way back into Leviticus chapter 15 and 16, there's a process that God outlines for cleansing from uncleanness. And so they would have um, likely taken a bath in these what was called uh, mikvahs, like these little Jewish bathtubs, uh, in order to become clean from a variety of ailments, a variety of, of uh, things that would have made them unclean. And so... There was a, a sense in which they could have connected dunking in the River Jordan to the mikvah bath that they would have taken um, for ritualistic cleansing. But there was something else happening at the same time, and that was Gentile believers, people that were Gentiles who wanted to follow the God of Israel and convert to Judaism were self-baptizing. So they were giving themselves a cleansing ritualistic bath that would have resembled baptism in order to represent the washing away of their past paganism, the washing away of their uh, Gentileness, so to speak, and being uh, cleansed into this new faith, this new journey. And so it wasn't altogether foreign except for this one simple principle, and that is that this baptism was done, A, not in stagnant water, but B, this baptism was done not to the Gentiles to step into the Jewish tradition, but it was done to Jews. John the Baptist comes preaching to the Jews. And so now these Jews are self-repenting 
are self-confessing, are seeking forgiveness, and they're being baptized by John the Baptist. And so John's connecting this Jewish ritualistic ceremonial cleansing now to their own repentance. And on the banks of the Jordan, he begins baptizing Jews, Jews who wanted forgiveness, Jews who shared the sense of urgency of the coming kingdom of God, Jews who believed, repented, and were baptized. And I wonder if in that scene, I wonder if in these moments in which John was baptizing Jews as he communicates and speaks this message of repentance, if they would have connected the location, if they were standing on the banks of the Jordan, in the water, remembering that their forefathers, their ancestors, carried the Ark of the Covenant and stepped into the water on the banks of the Jordan and watched God's faithfulness hold back the waters, if they would have remembered the words from Joshua chapter 3 verse 13 where God says the creator of the earth will be in the water will be present there and you'll see a demonstration of my faithfulness like you've never maybe seen before and experience the path forward that God is making a way I wonder if those Jews that were being baptized by John connected the historical and geographical significance of what was taking place on the banks of the Jordan. God will make a way on the banks of the Jordan. John knew full well that it wasn't him that was offering the forgiveness, that it was the coming Messiah. In fact, again, just getting some insight from other gospels, we go to the gospel of Mark chapter 1, where the telling of John the Baptist is a, is a bit, you know, from a different angle, maybe a bit more uh, different perspective. And Mark writes this as he speaks of, uh, quotes John, really, John saying, I've baptized you with water, but he, this is what John says, he will, meaning Jesus, the Messiah, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, John knew and understood that he was paving a way, but he wasn't paving a way for forgiveness. That was Jesus's job. So God will make a way, yes, through repentance. God will make a way through this symbolic ritual of baptism and God will make a way, but his way will be through Jesus. John says in the gospel of John chapter three, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, the joy is mine, is now complete. He must increase, meaning Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And he realizes he needs to fade into the background, into the distance. And just like that, as quickly as Matthew allows for John to appear, he disappears and fades into the background, and we don't hear much or see much of him upon the arrival of Christ. Why? Because it was never about him. He was just the messenger. He was, he was just the, the road worker to pave the way, to get the road straight and the path clear so that Jesus could come into town. God will make a way, but it's not coming through John the Baptist. It's going to come through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. His baptism will be in the Holy Spirit while John's was just a simple symbolic baptism of water. And yet through John's story, we see this beautiful human relationship between Jesus and his cousin John. The fact that, that Jesus mourned and grieved the loss of John the Baptist when he gets word in 
um, later on in Matthew when he hears that John's in fact been killed. He retreats into a boat in solitude in grief. In fact, we, we see a quote even before that, that uh, when, when John was inquiring of Jesus, John's in jail, in prison, and, and he starts hearing of the miracles and the teaching of Christ. And so he sends a couple of his disciples, a few of his trusted friends, is go down and find out from Jesus, is he really the one, is this really the way it was supposed to go? And he starts to question his whole kind of uh, existential reality of where he is and what he's doing because he's now in prison and he's about to be killed. And so he says, can you go please find out if it really was Jesus, if he really was the Messiah? And so Jesus sends this word back, this quote back to John the Baptist. He says, go tell him the blind receive their sight and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And I think in prison, John is hearing this word of Jesus and he's sighing with relief. (sighs) It was him. It was the Messiah. I knew it. It was all worth it. I did my job. I did what I came to do. The prophet Elijah has spoken, has made the path clear, has preached repentance, has baptized to set up this plan of salvation that Jesus is going to present. His work is done. Jesus writes later in Matthew 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there, is, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's a strong statement. If you think about it, I mean, we know it wasn't about John. We know this whole story is about Jesus. It's not about John. He was just there to pave the way. He was just there to to make the path straight, to be a conduit that God could use on the banks of the Jordan. It was never about John, but Jesus says, yeah, but there's never been anyone born in all of history, born of a woman that's as great as John the Baptist. My goodness, if that's true then you and I need to take a minute to consider what our definition of greatness is. A guy out in the desert calling for repentance, wearing camel's fur and a leather belt and eating crickets. Literally. Jesus says he's the greatest. Man, we need to take a minute to consider what greatness is, if that's true. John prepared the way and Jesus fulfilled it. God will make a way. And he did so on the banks of the Jordan. But the way wasn't John, the way was Jesus. John was pointing his people, his disciples to Jesus. Is it possible that the place where God made a way for Israel to cross over the Jordan and receive their promised coming inheritance? Is it possible that that very place was the way that God prepared his people for the coming Messiah of Christ? Is it possible that God allowed for the Jordan to separate his people from their promise so that he could make a way? Is it possible that you have a Jordan, a barrier, an obstacle that stands between what you think God has coming, what you think has been prepared for you, the blessing that you think you may have received, 
in the wilderness in which you're wandering? Is there, is there a Jordan in your life right now that when you look, you think, how and why would God possibly prevent me from the promised land? I want to tell you from the book of Joshua all the way through the prophets and now up into Matthew and on into Mark, Luke, and the Gospel of John that God will make a way. He did so on the banks of the River Jordan and he will do so in every single one of your Jordans. Even more than that, God says, as he does in Joshua chapter 3, that he himself, the creator of the earth, will be in the River Jordan, in the waters of the Jordan. That he actually may be in, working in that obstacle. He might actually have planned to use that obstacle to shape you and to refine you and to make you who he wants you to be for all eternity. Is it possible that God drew a line down the map and said, this is where the Jordan's going to run? From the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, and I'm going to keep it there as an obstacle so that I can present my faithfulness to my people, that I can use that one day to show them that I'm going to make a way on the banks of the river. Is it possible that he drew a line down the map of your life? That there's a line, a river, an obstacle that seems too deep or too swift or too broad? Seems like God couldn't possibly have planned that or be in that. You know, when I was in college, I had a, a season, kind of a culmination of a whole bunch of circumstances that came together all in, in a matter of a month. I had uh, I'd been injured on a motorcycle and was recovering from that. Had like one of those straight cast leg things, you know, where you can't move your leg. And, uh, and then I got a strep infection. Um, and then uh, on top of that, I had some kind of viral thing going on that we didn't really know what it was. So I went to the um, I went to the emergency room. I was super dehydrated because my throat was so swollen I couldn't really drink. And so they wanted to put you know a whole bunch of fluids into me. And um, and it turns out I had mono. <laughs> you guys have mono. I know it's like the kissing disease. You're not supposed to say if you have mono. It's like embarrassing. Although I don't think people have mono anymore because now it's all COVID. So you probably don't have to worry about it. Um, so I had mono, strep, and like this leg thing all at once, and they all felt like these massive obstacles for me finishing this final semester of college with a massive workload and schedule um, and a ton of writing and all this that I had to do. And I literally had to drop everything. I mean, I couldn't do anything. And I remember uh, I went to stay at a friend's apartment just to get some space and some some rest, and I remember sitting on the, the porch of a second or third story apartment, just sitting saying, God, what are you trying to do here? Why did everything in my world just halt all of a sudden? And I'm behind on school, and I'm behind on finances because I haven't been working, and I'm behind, I mean, go, go on down the list. And God spoke and just said, I have you here because of those circumstances. You wouldn't be here otherwise. You wouldn't be sitting on a porch talking to me, listening to me, exploring me, crying out to me, asking for direction from me if I didn't allow for those circumstances. And that was a River Jordan. He brought 
me to the bank of the Jordan where it felt like an impossible obstacle and I'm looking at these circumstances going, how in the world could this be productive? How in the world could this be from God? And he said so simply, I allowed those things to happen so that you would end up right here where you're going to listen. And it's as if he was saying the words of Joshua chapter 3, verse 13, where he says, I want to read this for you so I get it right so clearly. When the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. The Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters. The Lord of all the earth shall rest in your medical frustration, in your financial challenge, in your relationship struggle. I don't know what it is. I don't know what your Jordan is. But the Lord of all the earth will rest in those things. And as you walk up to the banks of the Jordan, if you're willing to place the sole of your foot into the water and sink it into the banks below, he'll hold back those waters and he'll make a way. It's the story of Jesus. It's exactly what John was doing, preparing a moment, preparing a time and a place on the banks of the river where God could show up, where Jesus could show up. We're going to see it in a couple weeks where he's baptized, where Jesus himself is baptized. And you hear this voice from heaven, this is fantastic scene where God is showing up and saying, I'm here. I'm watching my people. I'm making a way. I'm preparing a way. I'm going to show you that there was always in a plan. There was always intention. And whatever the obstacle feels like so strong or so vast or so... Um, critically important right now is not that important. It's just a river. But I'm going to make a way. I'm going to show up. And I'm going to lead you. He's in the obstacles, ready to use them, working through them, refining you from them. And the very thing that seems like a hardship may be the thing that he's using to shape your soul and mold your character for the promise that he has coming for you someday. I want to close with this hymn. When I was growing up, uh, we had hymn books. Some of you guys haven't heard of those before. It's like a book full of songs. And it'd be in the chairs in the church, pews in the church. And uh, the hymn books, you know, were, um, were so well known by the church members that you could just call out numbers. In fact, we got a group here that sings hymns every Sunday night. I called Rejoice. It's a fantastic um, little gathering where uh, they just literally call out the numbers and sing some hymns. Anyway, there's this hymn. It was written about 300 years ago, maybe 200 years ago, um, by a guy named Charles Coffin. It had to be interpreted at one point because it wasn't in English, but they translated it to English. And uh, this hymn is called On Jordan's Bank the Baptist's Cry. If you have a hymn book, um, like me, I am kind of weird, but I have one on my bookshelf. And so I pulled it off and sure enough in the hymn book is this hymn called on the Jordan bank, the Baptist cry. And here's what it says. Listen closely to the words of this hymn on Jordan's bank. The Baptist cry announces that the Lord is nigh awake and hearken for he brings glad tidings of the King of Kings. Then cleansed by every life from sin, 
Make straight the way for God within. And let us all our hearts prepare for Christ to come and enter there. We hail you as our Savior, Lord, our refuge and our great reward. Without your grace, we waste away like flowers that wither and decay. Stretch forth your hand, our health restore, and make us rise to fall no more. Oh, let your face upon us shine and fill the world with love so divine. All praise to you, eternal Son, whose advent has our freedom won, whom with the Father we adore the Holy Spirit evermore. On Jordan's bank, the Baptist cries, announces that the Lord is nigh. Awake and hearken, for he brings glad tidings of the King of Kings. Let's pray. Father, we're so prone to focus on obstacles, to focus on barriers, to come up to a a river that seems hard to cross, that's too deep or too swift or too broad. And yet, what you're calling us to today is to believe that that river was intentionally placed there as an opportunity for you to demonstrate your faithfulness. May we see it. May it be ever more clear to us this morning that on the banks of the Jordan, you will make a way. You did so for Israel to enter Jericho. You did so for Elijah as he passed the torch on to Elisha. You did so for John the Baptist as he made the path straight for the coming Messiah, Jesus. And ultimately, you made a way. Lord, the path had been cleared, and you entered. And you made a way for all of your people, for all eternity, to enter into the promise of heaven through the work that was accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ. You made a way, and you did so on the bank of the Jordan. And so, Lord, may we never see the Jordan rivers in our lives with the same perspective. Lord, may we, may we see them from the perspective of a father, a God, a creator who says, the Lord of the earth will be resting in those waters, waiting to provide, waiting to demonstrate faithfulness, waiting to make a way. Thank you, Lord, for that promise. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us. I hope that you guys can um, keep up with this series. If you are looking for a way to follow along throughout the week, um, we have this reading plan that's available. It's on the sermon page there, so just go onto the website and uh, you can get the sermon reading plan that uses the passage that we've covered today and then um, includes some other passages from the Old Testament and New Testament to help supplement that. So I encourage you to keep reading your Bible and I will hope to see you back here next week.